we are going to be opening up our Bibles to Luke chapter 5 today, and we are in part 5 of our series in the Gospel of Luke called A God-Sized Dream. And um, I just want to pause and ask a question to get our hearts ready. Church, are we ready to dream with Jesus this morning? Yeah. Dream with Jesus about what the world would be like if his dream became reality in our community. Now we've we've stated our vision as a church, and and we we mentioned this a few we've mentioned this a few times, but I want to reiterate this: a vision is really our dream of what things could be like, right? So if if the gospel penetrated every place in our community, we believe that our community would be a place that was saturated to overflowing. We want to see the Oklahoma City Metro saturated with the good news and the good works of Jesus. Because you know what we know is that if the good news is saturating our hearts, the good works of Christ are going to overflow out of, out of his church. And at some point, people won't be able to notice any place where the presence of Christ isn't there. And that's what we want to see. And then we follow that when we say our mission as a church, right? We want to glorify God by revealing the kingdom through making disciples who are being, becoming, and doing, right? Being is about our identity being realigned. We, we, we're learning that we have a, a new vertical relationship with the Father in Jesus. I am a child of God. We are a family of missionary servants. We're no longer our old, our old selves anymore, but we are new. We're adopted into the new family by the Father. We have a new identity, so we are being we are becoming, and that we are growing together and discipling relationships as a church, we're becoming more like Jesus. That's what the scriptures tell us, that, we, that that work happens in community with the church. And then we are increasingly doing the works of Jesus. Jesus says, greater things than what I have done, you will do, didn't he? He said that, that we would do his works, and we would do them even in increasing measure. So, so that's, 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 that's us, that's what we're aiming for, that's who we want to be. We believe, uh, and, and I believe that we see here in Luke chapter 5, that God's dream is that we will live under his strength and that we will see a great soul harvest in our city and in the entire world. How many of you believe that Jesus wants to see a great soul harvest in this world? Right? At the, at the very beginning, God told Adam and Eve in the garden, you be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And then they sinned, and things got a little messy in the world. But then in the Great Commission, essentially Jesus is saying, listen, I was building my family with them and they messed things up, but I'm built, still building my family, but now I'm going to build my family through disciple making, through seeing people return to me. That's what Jesus is saying. And you, church, I'm sending you out to do my work of calling people back, calling people back to their father. Prodigals come home. The Bible says he's the father of us all, doesn't it? He's the father of us all. Now, there are many people in our world who aren't living like he's the Father. But God's dream of seeing the whole earth filled with his glory has not ceased. And by the way, I've read the end of the story, and it's going to happen. So, I had a friend, I uh, still have a friend, actually, um, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> but uh, this particular friend of mine, uh, we went to college together, and... Uh, we have a longer history than that. We were friends back in high school. We were actually friends in junior high. 
So this guy knows a lot of, he's got a lot of my dirt. Um, I'm not going to tell you his name because I don't want you to go asking him about me, okay? But, um, <laughs> but uh, he got a job in college working at a gas station. And, um, and, and it, was, it was a pretty great deal. This was a gas station that was actually, it was in Weatherford, Oklahoma, okay? Um, and uh, yeah, right? Kara, Kara's a student in Weatherford right now. Great place to go to school, okay? But it was in Weatherford, Oklahoma, and uh, this gas station, get this, this, this wasn't that long ago. This was like 2003 or four. This was a full-service gas station in the 2000s, you know? Um, now, when was the last time y'all saw a, a full-service gas station anywhere, right? Uh, apparently, up in, the, uh, up in, like, Oregon, they have full-service gas stations because people are pu- afraid to pump their own gas. Look that up on Google. It's a real thing. But, uh, but, like, down here, you know, that's not happening anymore. We don't do that. But there was a little problem. Uh, my friend... Well, he wasn't particularly mechanically aware, okay? Full-service gas station means you're going to attend to somebody's car, and that's not a good thing if you're not at least somewhat familiar about how cars work, and particularly that there are different types of fuel. Am I right? So my buddy, um, one day, this, this guy pulls up, brand new Ford Super Duty pickup truck, right? Brand new. 7.3 power stroke, can I get an amen my car, from my car people? You know, 7.3 power stroke, that baby, have y'all ever heard one of those run? It's, it's just beautiful. I mean, just, you know, anyway, yeah, yeah, um, Scott and Beth drive one, so, um, but, but the guy pulls up in a brand new Ford Super Duty, 7.3 power stroke diesel engine, and my buddy didn't know that there was a difference between the green pump and the red pump, okay, or the black pump. You understand what I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting at here. My friend puts the gas pump into the de- brand-new diesel engine, fills this guy's truck up with gasoline. And as you can imagine, um, the man pays, doesn't know anything's different. It's full service. He's expecting the tech to know the difference between a gas and a diesel engine, right? Um, he, he didn't. And he pulls off in this truck, and you can imagine, he didn't make it very far before his brand-new Super Duty truck starts pinging and popping and making all kinds of terrible sounds. And the owner of the shop had to get this man a new engine, <laughs> And my buddy was, he didn't last in that job. So, um, but, uh, but you know, um, having the right kind of fuel in your vehicle matters, doesn't it? It matters a lot. In fact, you know, if you put diesel fuel in your gas engine, you, you, you might actually be able to drive it for a little while. I don't recommend this. I only know it because some crazy guy on YouTube um, does these things. But, but uh, and I'm a, I love cars, so I'm, you know, I'm always watching car videos. But, um, but it, it, you know, as, as silly as it seems that somebody might do something like that and mix up the type of fuel, that seems kind of obvious to most of us. Uh, in fact, nowadays, you know, you can't even, like, you can, it's hard to mess that up because they make the, the size of the, uh, the nozzles different. So it's much harder to mess that up today, I mean, although it still technically is possible. But, uh, but, you know, the crazy thing is there's actually a lot of people today who are living like that, particularly Christians who are living lives that are similar to that. And here's what I mean. We are trying to run our lives on the wrong kind of spiritual fuel. 
And we've been talking about this, you know, for, for quite a while now. We talked about this in Galatians. It's like when you try to do spiritual work, but you're trying to do it by human nature, by your own human nature and, and what the Bible calls the flesh, you're not going to get very far, are you? We've pretty well established that over the past few months. But, uh, but the truck in the story, the truck in my story didn't work properly because it was filled with the wrong kind of fuel. And you and I as Christians, we're not going to go very far if we're powered by the wrong fuel. So if we try to work out our own lives, you know, out of our own flesh, it's going to be like Paul said in Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Have you begun by the Spirit, or are you now going to finish by the flesh? Paul said it didn't work before when you were trying to do it in your own strength. It's not going to work now. How is it going to work? Well, it's going to be by the Spirit. We were created by God to be powered by the Holy Spirit. And, and, the truth is that many people who are Christian people who have been born again, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, are still living as if they are powered by their own strength and effort. And it, it's not working. We will not make it very far if we are using the wrong fuel in our lives. So we see in Luke chapter 5, an interesting story that I think goes hand in hand with, with what I just mentioned about having the right fuel. And I'll, I'll explain it in a minute. We'll just read the story and then uh, we'll go back and explain how this works. And here's what it says. Now Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and the crowd was pressing around him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got, in, he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your word I will lower the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets started to tear. So they mentioned to their partners, or they motioned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they were about to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For Peter and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So, and so were James and John Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's business partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. So when they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and they followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Can we give him praise for it? Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, Lord I, I'm reminded of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, um, where Jehoshaphat and Israel is facing a great horde. And, uh, and it was overwhelming. And Jehoshaphat said, Lord, um, we don't know what to do. We have this great army that's against us. I don't know how we're going to win. And, and, and we have no idea what we're supposed to do here, but our eyes are on you. This morning, Lord, we have, the reality is we are broken people who are seeking you. And we have the Holy Spirit if we've trusted in Christ. But so oftentimes we struggle to actually figure out how to live by the Spirit. Uh, and, and so we really need you, Lord. We need, we need you to help us to live 
in your power, in your strength, and not in our own strength. We need you to help us to, to have our minds transformed like Paul called us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need our minds to be transformed by your word, Lord, and by the presence of the Spirit so that we will know how we can actually live the way you're calling us to live. So, Lord, we ask that you would illuminate these scriptures to us this morning in the way that you promised that you would in 1 Corinthians. You would illuminate this word to our hearts so that we can understand what you have revealed to us through the Spirit. So uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I, I have three things that I think that we see that Jesus was showing his disciples through one of the greatest object lessons of all time, right? Like, I only wish I could do this good of an object lesson because uh, we would have to preach a whole lot less and, uh, <laughs> and, and we would just be getting stuff, you know? But... Uh, but the, the first, what we, what we need to understand before we d jump into these three things is that this great hall of fish is about a whole lot more than just fish. I think we kind of get that idea, right? Um, on, the, on the surface, you can be like, wow, so cool, they caught all these fish, but that's not even the point. Three things, uh, the, and I'll just tell you what they are. The first one is that Jesus was showing his disciples that they would be far more effective with him than apart from him. The second thing, and I'm going to repeat these again, so don't worry if you miss them. The second thing is that Jesus was showing them, his disciples, that he's the one in charge and not their circumstances. And the third thing is that Jesus was showing them that if they trust in him and do what he tells them to do, he would bring in the harvest. So that's, that's where we're going to go today. So let's take a look at, at, at this first idea. Jesus was showing his disciples that they would be far more effective with him than apart from him. Uh, when Peter and his boys first cast their nets into the ocean, they did so, or into the sea. They did so in their own strength, didn't they? Um, they, they? They fished all night. They did it on their own strength and power. They used their skills. They, you know, they were pretty seasoned fishermen, and we know that it wasn't just Peter and the boys who were involved. You know? We know that, that uh, James and John's dad was a part of this business. And, uh, and, and so like, there were seasoned fishermen who were here. They knew how to fish. They knew how to catch fish. You ever been around somebody who's just really good at catching fish? I know some people like that. It's really frustrating to go fishing with them, you know, because they're always catching fish and I'm not. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's still fun just to sit out there. But these guys were experienced. They knew where to throw their nets out. They knew where they would have the most success. They knew when the conditions would be the most favorable. And that night, they didn't catch anything. They used, I mean, you know, you, you know what it's like to go to work. You put everything into it. You want to get it done. You want to you be able to bring in some money. And these guys really depended upon catching fish to feed their families. And so it was frustrating when they didn't catch anything. You know they worked hard, and they caught nothing. They used all of the skill that they had. But again, they went in their own power. But the second time they went out, after Jesus said, why don't you guys go out there and cast out your nuts again? The second time they went in the power of Christ, and they could not contain all of the abundance that they received. Big difference, right? What made them successful with Christ wasn't their skill level or whether they had a seminary degree, or whether they were a super Christian, and whether they had memorized huge chunks of Scripture. 
That's not what made them effective, was it? What made them effective was just simply the presence of Christ and doing what he told them to do. It's really simple. But I think that many Christians in our culture today are living more like Peter's first cast than his second. Because we're relying on our strategies. Now, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm a reader, okay? I like to read books about strategy. And, and, and it's not wrong to have good strategy. In fact, um, it's, it's smart to have good strategy. But when we rely on our strategy instead of on the power of God, when we rely on our skills or our money or our ability to make something happen rather than the power of Christ, um, that's how a lot of churches and a lot of Christians operate today. And then I, I sit back and I wonder, and I actually had somebody come in to serve this week. It's, uh, that, that, you know, I work at the coffee bar a couple days a week, and, and I love doing that. I have a lot of good conversations. Um, I a pastor from a local church, a big local church, came in today, and we talked for a while, and he told me all these great programs they got going on, and he's like, I'm just frustrated, though, because we have all this stuff going on, and we're not growing. Now, most people would think of this church, and they wouldn't think that it's not growing, but he sees, as a pastor, they're not growing. They, don't, they're, they, they see new people come in, but they're also seeing a ton of people hemorrhage out, and they're not growing. And, and, and people aren't growing in depth. And that's something that was really bothering this pastor. And, and, and I said this, like it kind of blurted out of my mouth before I could stop myself. You, you ever have that moment where it's like, where you're like, this guy, oh no, I said that. <laughs> you know, like when you see a lady who looks pregnant and you're like, hey, when's the baby due? And she's not. <laughs> you ever done that before? Don't do that. Um, don't ever do that. <laughs> it's bad. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but I, I, I said to him, man, I think it's because we're so focused on our strategies and our ability to make stuff happen, and we're not pursuing God anymore. And, um, you know, I don't know this pastor very well, so I was really hoping I'm not like, I wasn't trying to be accusatory towards him. I'm, I'm just talking about the state of the American church in general. I'm looking around being like, man, we got bells and whistles, don't we? We got smoke machines and big screens and shredding guitar players. Not here so much, but in other places that, you know, um, we, we have a really talented piano player. So I think we're better than them. Oh, no. Um, but but we, 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 you know, we do have a lot going for us here. And I think we could sit here and be like, man, look at this cool place. And, and, and like, like we literally are like, the church every hipster dreams of, you know what I mean? Like, like, uh, it's so great. You know, it's a coffee shop and, and, um, and, and Kendra wears cool beanies and stuff. And, and, and sometimes I wear flannel and, um, and it's like, we, we've got this thing going on. It's like, you know, it's, there's a coolness factor here, but, but if we rely on what we've built here and we think, man, that's, what's going to attract people, we're going to, we're going to fall on our face. Just like the churches around the city that are like, man, check out our smoke machine or check out our really cool programs, you know. And, and man, we got like, we got like a, uh, a climbing wall for your kids, and, and that's going to bring you in, man. Just like people who are doing that. See, when we start relying on those external factors to draw people in, um, we're going to fall flat on our faces. Because we're not, one, we're not seeking God. We're not praying for people to be broken. 
and we're not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to bring people to their knees and repent and believe the gospel. Parlor tricks are never going to work long term as far as getting people brought into the kingdom and discipled. And they're quickly losing their effectiveness. Partially because back in the 70s and 80s when all this became a big you know, to-do, most people presumed a Christian worldview. It was a lot easier to get somebody to, from the point of unbelief to the point of faith. Today, that's just not the case. Listen, I'm, I'm going to admit something to you today. My name's Nick, and I'm a millennial. Okay, um, I am a millennial. Okay, there, I said it. I said it. Thank you. I need healing. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll, but we, you know, one of the things that, that, uh, that's real, my generation is far less likely to believe in the God of the Bible as the, those of you who are older than me. That's true. Um, most of my friends don't believe in the God that we believe in. You know, only 35 or so percent of millennials believe in the God of the Bible. And with, with, with Kara's generation, right, with, with her generation and younger, it's like, you know, Connor and Ian and, and, and all of our youth. And do you realize that with that generation, it's like 24% of them are likely to believe in the God of the Bible according to research? Guys, we, and, but with my parents' generation, with you boomers, by the way, I like the boomers. I'm not on the okay boomer thing. I think that's silly. In fact, when somebody says okay boomer, I'm like sooner. <laughs> anyway, um, but, uh, but that's, you know, um, but with like with, with, with Gen Xers and with boomers and, and, and with, with people who are older. Actually, you know that boomers are the most likely of all American generations to believe in the God of the Bible? That's, that's pretty cool. Um, but with Gen Xers, it's like 45%. So you can see that the, the older generations, it's more likely that over half of your generation, you know, or, or close to it, are probably going to at least believe in the God of the Bible. But see, the generations that are coming up, that are coming up into prominence, man, boomers are in politics now. They're in Congress. See what's happening? We don't believe in God, and so, of course, you're going to have a godless viewpoint. But they're also harder to reach. You can't use parlor tricks. They have to have their hearts broken by God. There has to be a miracle. And the only way we're going to see a miracle is if we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus wanted his disciples to see they'd be more effective with him than apart from him. So Peter and the boys, they throw their nets in. It was all, you know, it was, it was a normal night at work. They didn't get anything really accomplished, but they worked just as hard. And then Jesus says, go back out there and do it again. And they catch a ton of fish just because Jesus said to do it. Just because his power was there. A.W. Tozer wrote in his book, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit, our trouble is that we are trying to conform the truth of Christianity by an appeal to external evidence. We are saying, well, look at this fellow. He can throw a baseball further than anybody else, and he is a Christian. Therefore, Christianity must be true. Here is a great statesman who believes the Bible. Therefore, the Bible must be true. We quote, quote Daniel Webster or Roger Bacon. We write books to show that some scientists believed in Christianity. Therefore, Christianity must be true. We are all the way out on the wrong track, brother. That is not New Testament Christianity at all. That is a, it is a pitiful, whimpering, drooling appeal to the flesh. When we are looking to all the externals, 
rather than looking to the inner transformation and what God is doing in us, we are missing out. And we also shouldn't be appealing to those things as means of proof to the world. What they need to see is the power of the Spirit. Just like in the first century, those guys needed to see the power of the Spirit. Man, Pentecost wouldn't have been much without the falling of the Holy Spirit and the tongues of fire. Do we want to see our culture changed? We need more of the power of God in the lives of Christians. And that is exactly what Jesus was trying to show his disciples. Say, hey, you cast out your nets in your own strength, you catch nothing. You catch them out in my strength, you can't even, you can't even contain the harvest. And I, I work with a lot of churches. You all know that. I work with a lot of churches. And to be honest with you, even among my church planners who, are, who you would think are some really on-fire believers, I see very few churches that I work with earnestly praying and seeking God. And I mean seriously seeking and, and praying and, and contending for the gospel in their own hearts and in the hearts of others. We're far more focused on programs and trying to get people in than we are contending in our own hearts. And I just don't think that's going to work if we want to have a church that reaches into new generations. So then it's no wonder that we're frustrated and stagnant because the same amount of work goes into doing it in our own strength or doing it in the power of God, but when we do it in our own strength, we bring nothing in. We've said this many times, the gospel's not opposed to hard work, but it is opposed to earning. Right? All we have is in Christ. All we have is from Christ. But that doesn't mean that we're to be lazy and sit around and be like, well, Lord, you want to send the rain today? Uh, if you're not going to send the rain, I guess I'm not going to push the plow. You would be a very foolish farmer if you only pushed the plow when you saw the rain coming. So the second thing, though, that we see, oh, I, I have to say this. This is an important statement. God wants his church to catch people like Peter caught fish that day, but we can only ever be effective if we operate underneath his power instead of in our own strength. The, the second thing that I mentioned is Jesus was showing them that he is the one in charge, not their circumstances. Um, this whole idea of sort of being being wrapped around our circumstances is nothing new in the people of God, by the way. I'm, I had uh, I, I read earlier in the week Numbers chapter 14 where the spies go into the land, right? And, and, um, and they, they see the land and they're like, whoo, there's some big people over there. They're, they're, they come back, Moses, I saw some linebackers. Those guys all look like Brian Bosworth, every one of them, you know? Um, they, 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 they saw big people. They saw Shaquille O'Neal, you know. They, they just saw these big hulks of men, and they said, we can't, we can't, we can't do it. We're little. We have no strength. Huh? What were they doing? They were looking at their circumstances rather than having faith in God. So, uh, so then what ended up happening is it kind of backfired a little bit, you know. They ended up they didn't get to go back to Egypt like they wanted to do. They ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years, and the whole generation had to die before God could bring the next generation in. But, but today, it's not that different in the church because many of us are looking around to see, we see where the culture is headed, and we, and, and we start to feel distressed, and we think that, uh, that there's no way. Oh, this culture is so godless, Lord. Uh, whew, come, Lord Jesus. We just need to get to heaven because it's getting bad down here. Lord, are you listening to this? 
Did you watch the Democratic National Debate? <laughs> right? I mean, I, I know how things go. I know how we think because guess what? I'm a, church, I'm a church kid, you know? Like, I've been in this culture my whole life, and it's how I think, and the Lord's having to break me out of it. I used to lay in my parents' pool at night and just be like, Jesus, it's getting bad. Can you please come get us? I remember, like, I mean, I'm talking pouring out my heart, like, Lord, just please, I don't want to raise kids in this world, and now I'm, I'm about to have four of them. <laughs> but I remember praying my guts out to the Lord, and, and then one day the Lord just was like, would you please stop that? There's a lot of people who, are, who if I came back today, would be in hell forever. And then the Lord reminded me, hey, it's okay to to long for his return, but let's not forget about the fact that we're here now. And we've been given a mission. And so we can look at our circumstances and respond in fear, or we can trust in the power of God to redeem what's broken. One of the things that, that I, I always come back to is Isaiah chapter 59. This chapter's had a huge impact on my life. Um, my youth minister, when I was a kid, made me memorize this thing. It was a part of being on the leadership team. He was making us memorize whole chapters of Scripture. Can you even believe it? Um, whole chapters of Scripture. And he made us memorize this, but this passage is just stuck with me forever because I always remember when things look like they're hopeless, right? Because that's what this whole chapter is about. It's bad. Truth is lacking. The one who departs from evil makes himself a prey. These are the words in this passage. And then it says that God was unsatisfied when he looked down and he saw that there was no one to redeem. There was no arm to uphold him. So he says his own arm brought him salvation. Here's the thing. God is not asking us to overcome the world. He said that he has overcome the world, right? And if he has overcome the world, that means that no matter how bad things look around us, that there's always a chance and there's always hope because Christ loves to overcome wickedness and draw people into his fold. He loves to bring people to himself. Peter had a small dream on that day when Jesus told him to go cast out his nets again. Now, we read it a minute ago. You hear what he said? He said, Lord, we worked all night. We used everything we had. We're, we are fishermen. Okay, Lord? You know? You ever had a moment like that where God tells you to go do something? You're like, God, I already did that, and I'm pretty good at this. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been getting prophetic words since I was a kid. I've been reading the Bible since I was a babe. I mean, sometimes we have that attitude, don't we? I mean, I'm just speaking to people like me, okay, church kids, okay? I, but, but, but sometimes you get people, even, you know, even if you weren't raised in the church, but you've been in for a while, you've been in the family, you've been in the, you've been in the club, and, and you, you've, you've done had people rub off on you, if you know what I mean. And, and, and you just get to this place, it's like, Lord, I just don't know if I can do that again. And, and, and Peter, you know, that, that was his attitude that day. He's, hey, look, we already did it. We used every, all of our skills, and, and this is our trade, and we're really good at it, Lord. And, and, uh, but, but you know what? Since you said so, I'm going to go do it. Now, that was pretty cool of him to do, right? Because a lot of people would just sort of throw up their hands and be like, Lord, I already did it. I'm not doing that again. I'm tired. I want to go home, take a nap. I smell like the fish that we never caught. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, I want to shower. A lot of people would have done that, but, but, but Peter... He heard what Jesus said. He said, okay, you know what? I'm going to believe you. I'm going to go. Now, that was faith, right? 
Because faith is, is we believe Jesus even when it, it's hard to believe him. In fact, especially when it's hard to believe him. That's, that's faith. And he went out, and they did it. They, they cast the nets, and oh, man, it was, it, was, it was cool, right? They caught tons of fish. But Peter had a small dream that day. His dream was definitely smaller than Jesus' dream because Jesus knew what he was about to do. But I want to ask you, what, what's your level of expectation? You know, Christian, have you, have you worked hard? Have you toiled long in your life and you've seen a meager catch of souls? Maybe you're someone who's your whole life, you've, you've dedicated yourself to the word of God and to seeing people come to know Jesus, and you just haven't seen a whole lot of people come to know him. And you're a little discouraged right now. Well, that's kind of the story of our church a little bit, isn't it? <laughs> We've worked hard. Um, there's a heritage of what was Covenant Life Church that worked really hard. And then there's been some struggles on the backside of that, right? And then we came together as New Covenant Fellowship. The last couple of years, we've, we've seen God do a lot of neat things, but, but then we've also seen some people trickle off. And that's been kind of hard. Um, but, but we've seen people grow in depth, and we're, I think we're, seeing our, we're growing together as a, as a new church, right? And that's good. We're seeing God do a lot of good things. But, but, but I imagine that in some people, there's some discouragement some days. And can I just be honest as a pastor, and Pastor Dwight and I can, and Pastor Richard, we can all say, we've had a few discouraging days, haven't we? <laughs> where we've just been like, Lord, what is going on? We're working our tails off, and, we, and, and, and where is it? What if Jesus is coming to us now and telling us to go back out and throw the nets out again? What if? You know, for, to, to you as an individual believer, to us as a church, God, what if he's coming to say, listen, I'm not done yet. You worked hard, now I want to show off. Are we going to do it? Are you going to do it? Do we have the faith that Jesus can and will provide a miraculous catch of people today? Do we have the faith that he can use us, you, once again? That he wants to use us again for a harvest of a great multitude of souls before we leave this world. I, I just believe that God is very intentional. And I don't believe that God rolled everything that was the tradition of, of, a, of, of a church that had contended so hard to see people discipled for so long. And then a crazy church planner who is a Baptist kid who, who the Holy Spirit wouldn't leave alone. And, 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 and then bring us together into this one thing and make it into this beautiful thing. And we've spent two years working hard to stitch this thing together. And I just, I just believe that God is intentional and that God is sovereign and that he did this on purpose and he's got a plan. And then if he says, let's throw our nets back out, then we better be willing to do it as many times as he says to do it. We may have a hundred times that we throw the nets out and we catch nothing. And he tells us to do it again on faith. And we don't know when the time is we're going to throw them out and pull it in and it's going to be a great harvest. 
our circumstances, just like in Peter's day, cannot and will not stop Jesus from accomplishing the work that he set out to do. All right, and the third and last thing. I'm going to do my best to get through this pretty quick because I know y'all are hungry. I smell ham. Okay, so um, <laughs> Jesus was showing them that if they trust in him and do what he told them to do, he would bring in the harvest. This may be the most important one for us of all because this is about faith. If, if they trusted him and they did what he told them to do, he would bring in the harvest. You know, one of the really cool things about this is I don't think that the Lord has ever called us to be the ones to bring in the harvest. He called us to sow the seed. He calls us to obey. But the Spirit is the one who regenerates a heart, not us. Oftentimes, churches and Christians get stuck because we live as if we are Lord and not Christ, right? We try to set the rules for him rather than following his rules for us. Um, Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, the late great British minister, he wrote that Western Christians are in danger of being satisfied with something very much less than what is offered in the Scripture, and in danger of interpreting Scripture by our own experiences and reducing its teaching to the level of what we know and experience. People come to the New Testament, and instead of taking its teaching as it is, we interpret it in light of our experience, and so we reduce it. Okay, this can, look, this can take a lot of different forms. Okay? For some people, I've heard this. Well, I've never seen God move in that way, so he must not be doing that anymore. Y'all ever heard that before? I hear it more than I want to talk about, you know, honestly. Like, um, but then there's some other people who are like, well, I've only ever seen God do it this way, so we can't do it another way. That's just as bad. We want to take the teachings of Scripture and allow them to teach us. We don't want to inform them, okay? So what we read in the scriptures is what we want to see lived out in our lives. So anyway, this could take a lot of different forms. But uh, oftentimes I see people coming up with these sort of excuses, um, like what I just mentioned. Or perhaps we get to thinking that, that, that God only uses, I mentioned this earlier, but the so-called super Christians, right? Or the really spiritual people to accomplish his work, and not normal people. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, ministry's for you pastors. <laughs> you, you, you ordained, you cemetery, 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 <laughs> actually seminary and cemetery, there's not that much of a difference between those two places sometimes. You seminary trained guys, see, I hear, I hear this all the time, this is people's excuses why they're not involved in ministry. Well, ministry's for you, you, you pastors, you're, you're ordained, that's your calling. Except for the problem that the Bible says that the ministry of the eldership is to equip the church for ministry. Ooh, it's real hard to reconcile those two ideas. So it actually means that like what I'm doing and what Pastor Dwight and what Pastor Richard, what we do is actually designed to help you leverage your gifts to the maximum potential so that we can see a great harvest in the world because the Spirit is at work in and through us. It's actually not our job to do all the ministry. Our ministry is you. Your ministry is the world. That's how the church is supposed to work. So, 
Jesus didn't call us to work on our own strength. He didn't call us to look at our, our, our abilities and say, well, I, I'm only going to work to the level of my ability, Lord. Huh. Remember, the, remember the, the foolish servant who buried the master's money in the ground? And the master was like, look, you may not be very, <laughs> this is a Forrest Gump quote, you may not be a smart man, okay? I um, was like, you may not be a real smart dude, but you could have at least put it in the bank, man, you know? And then I could have at least got some interest. Yeah, sure, not everybody's gifted at the same level, but you are gifted if you're in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the ability to work with Him to accomplish something great for the kingdom. Bigger than you. Now, why is it bigger than you? Because the power of the Spirit is in you. Just like Peter and his boys, they expended everything they had. And the only thing that got them over the hump that day was the power of Jesus in them. Same is true for you and me. If we're able to accomplish anything in the world, it's going to be because of Christ in us. It's his power to work in us that makes us effective, not our ability to be great. In John chapter 14, John tells us that, that we prove our love for Christ by obeying him, but then he follows that by saying, that he sends all who love him, the Holy Spirit, to dwell within us and to empower our lives. So that means that what we are, what the sum of our worth is much greater than what we appear because the Spirit is in us. One last quote I got to read because it's just so good. Um, this is from Charles Spurgeon in his book, Jesus Came to Save Sinners. He says, We trust in Jesus because we don't, or because we can't do it ourselves. If it was in our own power, what need would we have to look to him? It is our part to believe, and it's the Lord's part to create us anew. He will not believe for us, and we aren't going to be able to do the regenerating work for him. It's enough for us to obey the gracious command, and it's the Lord's work to give us a new birth, as Paul writes in Philippians 2.13. He who would go so far as to die on the cross for us, and will give us all things we need. He will also give us all things that we need for our eternal security. And understand this, he will also give us all things that we need to accomplish the ministry that he gave us to do. In other words, he's not going to tell you to cast out your nets and not give you the power to haul in the fish. Simon Peter in John chapter 21, verses 3 through 6, I love this. Simon Peter, uh, this is after Jesus was crucified. He had resurrected. He'd gone, uh, he, he was back around, but they hadn't seen him in a little while. And Peter, Peter in John 21, all of a sudden he says, Hey guys, I'm going fishing. <laughs> so Peter goes back out to the boat, because that's what he knew, right? It's like, I'm going back, I'm going fishing. And this crazy thing happened. They... Um, while they're out there, they're catching no fish. Maybe Peter wasn't as good a fisherman as we thought. You know, I don't know. Uh, they're catching no fish. And all of a sudden, somebody's standing on the shore and says, Hey, guys, won't you cast your nets out on the other side? And what happens? Same thing that happened in Luke chapter 5. They start trying to pull the nets up, and there's so many fish they can't do it. And, and, and John says, It's the Lord. And then Peter and what does what Peter does and strips his clothes off, jumps in the lake and swims over to Jesus. But, but, but the same thing happened again. 
Because here's the thing. Jesus came again to remind them that we have to get, they had to get their minds off of what they could do and get their minds on what Christ can and wants to do. And then, and then in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Peter had preached this sermon in the power of the Spirit, right? And what happens? By the way, that sermon was a throwing out of the nets to catch people, wasn't it? Throwing out of the nets. And what happens? Over 3,000 people were saved that day. Here's the Peter who was ready to abandon Christ in his life as a disciple. And Christ restores him. And now all of a sudden he understands and he remembers that he's more effective with Christ than without. That he needs the power of Christ. And on that day he cast out his nets with Jesus and he pulled in a haul of over 3,000 people in one day. Peter knew that experience of so many people he couldn't get them all in the boat. Can you imagine trying to disciple 3,000 people when you got a new church of like 120 people? There weren't enough small group leaders, y'all. We know about that problem. I've been there. But one more thing. I, I, we've got to wrap our brains around this dream. This is so important for everything else that we're going to talk about today when we go into our business session. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. John writes, After these things I looked, and there was an enormous crowd that no one could count made up of persons from every nation tribe people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb dressed in long white robes and with palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a loud voice salvation belongs to our God to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb why is that important because when I see that picture it makes me more confident that there's some people around this city who don't yet know Jesus, but he wants them to be here. He wants them in this place. And it's not up to you and me to impress them and, 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 and just try to you know, trick them to come into the kingdom. No, it's up to us to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to pursue Jesus Christ with everything that we have and to proclaim this message, to cast out our nets and just to see what kind of harvest Christ is going to pull in when we're faithful to do what he told us that we are to do. If we try to build this church or to build our Christian lives in our, in our own strength, we will work our tails off, and yet we will produce nothing of any value to the kingdom. But if we cast out our nets, as Jesus is calling us to do, then we will see much fruit, but it won't be because we are somehow great or because we're the best church in town. It'll be because Christ is great in us. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.